Mosaic family, what's going on? What's going on, y'all? Welcome to the Mosaic Midweek Podcast series on the Bible and the stories of those in our community who have grown up with it and have had changing ideas and have heard God speak to them today. We might have different thoughts and opinions and questions, but the hope is we can come together and communally ask and discern what God might be speaking to us and that we're hearing from God um, sensitively and lovingly. I hope y'all enjoy. All right, welcome into the uh, Mosaic Midweek podcast. This is not Zeru Fitzum. <laughs> this is Wes Mills. But I am here with the uh, always aspiring comedic, <laughs> um, never at loss for words, always the new word, every day I'm learning. Yes. Um, warm, welcoming Zaru Fitzson. What's up, Zaru? Yeah, man, I love that intro. Always aspiring comedic. That is very true. I'm doing well, man. I'm getting over this god-awful cold, but we're, we're making our way through it. <laughs> You're in the hot seat. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I like this role, but I, you, have, you have done such a great job in this uh, hosting role, but you get to be in the hot seat. No, uh, no pressure to those of you out there who haven't yet sat in the hot seat. Um, it's not hot, actually. It's very warm and inviting, Aww. but... Uh, but it's uh, but it's good to be in the role reversal here. So. Yeah, man, it's it's a little different when you're so used to being the one asking the questions. Being the answer giver can feel intimidating. Even last night, as I was just like thinking through some of the questions, I was like, it's hard to package it in a way mm. that I feel like will be helpful or a story that's worth it. But all the guests who have come on so far have been incredible. So hopefully, I can follow in their path. Yeah, uh, I think what you've done here, I think, is really helpful as far as it, just our church goes when it comes to uh, fr helping people frame um, their story mm -hmm. and being able to process what their relationship has been with the Scripture and how they have sort of moved along the timeline of their life as it relates to their continuing growth and knowledge of yeah. the Bible. So I think it's been really helpful and fruitful, and I know our, I think our church feels the same way. Yeah, so, man. That's good. It. Yeah. All right, so yeah. with that being said... Uh, we have obviously had a lot of conversations about just your life, history, upbringing, right. and whatnot, but can you just give folks a little bit of insight into what uh, your relationship to the Scripture was growing up, yeah. and then sort of how we've, where you're at now? For sure, for sure. So a little bit about me that I think most people in the church know, but some may not, is I'm Ethiopian. I'm the son of Ethiopian immigrants. My dad came in 91 to D.C., and my mom followed two years later, 93, and they got married. And they come from this Pentecostal Ethiopian tradition called Alahiwat. It's like word of life uh, is what it means. And so, but my, my father, his family, they come from a line of a bunch of Ethiopian Orthodox Tewadeho priests. And so it wasn't until my grandpa that my family went the Protestant track. And so my dad started to get really passionate about the Bible when he was like late teens, younger 20s, and it's like, all right, ministry in the church is all I want to do. And my mom met him at a Bible study at her house. So my mom's mom 
would have my dad lead Bible study at my parents' house. So that's kind of how my mom met him, this, that, and the other. So since I was born, I'm the third out of five children. There's Yanni, Sharon, and then me, and we're 27, 25, and 23. We grew up every day in our house hearing Bible stories. In fact, my dad, every day, he would ask us these questions when we would sit down, and he'd be like, hey, what that means is this is the word of God. What does it do? Is like the question. And then we would say, it means like it, it heals, it cleans, it equips. So we would be kind of like catechized to see the scriptures as this sacred book of God meeting us and faith in this God. Um, my parents never framed it as would make our lives better, but faith in this God is what makes life worth it, you know, there and specifically through the scriptures. And so, yeah, my dad, he was part of a bunch of elder deacon teams. And so sometimes he would be teaching. Everybody loved it. My parents, they led Bible studies together. They would lead the church choir, especially when it was just us three. When my younger sisters came around, shout out to Rebecca and Esther. They're 18 and 12 years old right now. They kind of were born at a time in life where things got really busy and hectic in our families, where those rhythms started to uh, become less and less in the home. Uh, my parents weren't leading choir anymore. My dad had a lot of situations with work where when the economy was going down in the recession, he got laid off, you know what I mean? And so we saw as life becomes more stressful and you have to work 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. while mom is working 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. and they're missing each other, you don't get to really be part of those rhythms anymore. But I was in a Christian school. And so every day of my life, the scriptures were always upheld as the most like monumentous words I could ever encounter on each day. And for most of my life, I loved it. You know, like it was never really a problem. Like sometimes it would get like boring. Like some of the stories would be like, ah, this is a, like, I've heard this genealogy three times in four chapters, like, and there wasn't anything different. Like verse one through 68 is literally the same structure, except the names changed. But then when it talks about the fathers and all of that. So, um, so yeah, man. Uh, so went to, from transitioned out of a home that would catechize us for like the first nine, 10 years of my life. And then was in a private Christian school from uh, five years old to 17 years old. And then I went to a university in Hannibal where I was doing biblical studies. The Bible has always been significant in my upbringing, even in the Sunday school classes at the Ethiopian church. And then especially at the Baptist church I moved to when I was 14 to 15 years old. So I was always in that thing <laughs> and uh but wasn't always aware of how as you mentioned this last sunday of how it was reading me because sometimes if you're too familiar it can feel like a a, a daze sometimes yeah, yeah 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 so i yeah so you've got sounds like you i mean you had a pretty intensive yeah. uh like um upbringing as it relates to like just this this book is important yes <laughs> if not of the utmost importance right. the, even the I, even that kind of notion of um of cleaning of healing yeah. and of equipping yeah um, which yeah. is a really a kind of a sweet uh, framing but that feels very holistic right, right? this right. sort of vertical horizontal yeah. approach yeah. um and so you, you're growing up in this in this very intense home you um you go to a Christian 
college. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what was that like as it relates to the Bible? Yeah, it was it was really good, and it was on the tales of me just coming back to having a redemptive look at my roots. Because when I switched to the Southern Baptist Church when I was 15 years old, I was like, oh, my the parents' theology is trash. You know what I'm saying? So I was in Baptist circles before going into college, and I was like, I was part of the Southern Baptist Convention that leaned Reformed. You know, there's always a lot of SBCers. You'll get a bunch of Arminians. You'll get Reformed folks, and for those who are not, privy to those terms, neither should you be. I'm grateful you were able to escape those. Um, A lot of it has to do with the way you view salvation and God's involvement into it and your participation. Would you say that's a Mm -hmm. pretty good summative? And so I really leaned to the heavy, like God's sovereignty T-Track once I switched. When I grew up, I always believed Jesus was the one who saved me. I never believed I saved myself, but I did lean heavy on thinking my effort to sustain my holiness was significant to my salvation. When you move to Reform Track, it's like, no, 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 no. Grace is efficacious. It will never be something you can be taken out of. You've been submerged in the depths of it, which is a very comforting doctrine, but the rhetoric that I was gleaning from some of these times when people would teach these texts, some of the people I was listening online is, oh, my parents are heretics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. when, uh, which is not true. Uh, they, they are actually very responsible for my love for the word in ways I'm recovering an understanding of. However, yeah, so when I went to college, I was on the tails of like recovering that love for my family. So I think it actually became a little healthy. I was very convinced already at that time that I wasn't Southern Baptist, but I had the opportunity to learn the scriptures from a professor I trusted. And so I just kind of dug into that thing and tried my best to not let the surrounding circumstances keep me from my goal to to, to grow in pastoral um, awareness, competence, and scriptural orthodoxy in order to serve whatever flock I would after. Now, during that time, <laughs> a lot of changes happened, but going into college, I was like, all right, I think, I think this could be a healthy uh, experience. Yeah. 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 That's good. The, I, I've heard it said that, um, you know, there big doors swing on small hinges. Mm. Uh, so like, thinking about our lives and sort of some seismic shifts that yeah. happen um, sometimes are they sometimes they're really you know magnificent events either catastrophic or wonderful but right. a lot of times these kind of small subtle shifts that over time we look back and we realize oh my gosh how how impactful that was yeah. on me um, what would you say were some of the shifts that you had from growing up even to now that you would say these were really pivotal kind of moments and seasons of life that I either became to understand more of the scripture or maybe understood how I was brought up maybe in some circles that weren't holistic or maybe I was like you said you were covering in some yeah, ways yeah. like the love that was given to you so yeah. how, what would you say some of those shifts were yeah specifically uh, the the subtle shifts happened uh in college because what was same in the Ethiopian tradition I grew up in and the Southern Baptist tradition I went to uh, in my mid-teen years was 
almost this sense of bibliolatry, you know, this, this idolizing of the Bible, if you're okay with that term, you might not like it, which I understand we can nuance the mess out of it. But the, the, so what that did as, as much of a high premium it put on the Bible's words and the God who authored it was that I could never question it. And then what the shift I started to feel that actually scared me when I was in college was I would meet with this philosophy professor I had at the school and he would be saying things about the Bible that I was like, huh, I don't know if they would sign off of that, of what you're sharing with us in class on the Baptist statement of faith. And that wasn't actually that something that bothered me. I wanted to lean into it because I was curious and I was starting to become discontent with the way I was viewing the Bible. It started, I was starting to get tired of pretending that I believed every word had significance for me or at least the way i was taught to frame every word has significance right like so if you see a fork in the bible that is somehow on the side of the street you need to connect it to jesus christological like emphases like always needing to point something to christ a very hyper um focus on that Luke passage you were talking about when mm -hmm. Jesus is talking about the guy uh, to the guys on the road to Marius and says, all of these scriptures point to me. I was like, okay, so every verse, mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I have to find Jesus in it. And then when I was around him, the subtle shifts became, I don't know if I can do this with intellectual integrity anymore. That was starting, that was what I was starting to feel because I was like, isn't this supposed to be transformative to my experience? And some of these things I'm saying to people, first of all, I'm struggling believing, and I don't know if it's true. I don't think I have the Bible mastered in the way I was taught to. When I was in high school, I read that thing four times, you know, so I was, and, and I didn't like understand everything, but I was pretty familiar with the movement of, the narrative. So this philosophy professor, he just allowed me to breathe when I questioned, <laughs> when I questioned. And that scared the mess out of me, man. I was scared I was slipping down the slope to just heathen uh, pagan practices. Uh, once you get rid of a high view of the sovereignty of God and a high view of the Bible, what people would call a high view of the Bible, then you're on some dangerous water. So I internalized that message so much. It took me really long to even open up to that professor and say, hey, can you share with me more about your view of the Bible? Because he was, this is a man who was uh, 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 living in uh, Turkmenistan for over a decade. He was doing things in Russia. He actually helped uh, that, like with some of the papers and constitutional documents that were created post-93, you know, like, so he's very involved living a Jesus life in the public square. And I was just very moved and I was like, all right, there should be a space for this man, even though he doesn't have 100% conformity to the Baptist faith and message, he is all Jesus and I'm very, um, it's very appealing to me. So I was like, yeah, man, I'm struggling. And so he would share, hey, have you thought of the Bible this way? Like a uh, look at the oral tradition that Israel was. Some of the questions you're asking has to do with you were never told some of these writing documents could have been a community project rather than a single author. So those shifts kind of helped me just breathe and be okay with questioning. So I would say the, the ability to question God without feeling like God would like supplant me like take uproot me from my safety and security in him was huge and that kind of led that's led up to my life now i still wrestle with those things yeah mm -hmm. yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, now having known you for over a year now, the, uh, I mean, I, I, I think I may, I, if, I, if I didn't leave with this, I should have, but yeah. the ever-increasing curiosity yeah. of Zaru, um, in, in some ways, I'm sure interfaces a lot with how you interact with scripture. Right, um, right. And, and questioning something doesn't necessarily, is, is neither a, it's not. It's an amoral thing, right? Yeah, it doesn't yeah. feel like it's good or bad. It's just the idea of saying, "Hey, I actually uh, am not sure this thing is as black and white as right. we would like it to be, right? Um, or cut and dry, maybe as we would like it to yeah. be." Um, which I think is, it is. It is good to bring your questions to the table. Yeah, that's helpful. And when you learn that, even in like in textual criticism classes, which I've never had a full semester of, it's more my own. Um, and why don't you explain what a textual yeah, criticism text, is? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Textual criticism is when you take documents from the past, specifically the Bible here, and you put it under the microscope of historical and critical thinking. Because there are many manuscripts that have been uh, written of the Bible, 25,000 plus. And so when you see the earliest writings, because we don't have the original manuscripts, uh, you kind of see some differences along the way. So you ask some questions, what does this passage, what did the author who wrote it first or the earliest ones like 200 years later after it was written, what did they deduce this to mean? Because language evolves over time, uh, verbal structure, grammatical structure, even if you're using the same language. So s textual criticism is this exercise that attempts to grasp meaning and the accuracy, like the the, of the text like is this actually what was written down or was this added later you know what i'm saying so it's a very very in-depth interrogation of writings from that were very removed from historically um and so with that uh, as you take these classes you you're just like oh the he, even scholars say the Hebrew throughout the ages is unclear. And if we're a people who believe it's the earliest manuscripts or the original manuscripts that we're calling inerrant or infallible that have no errors with them, it's like, well, we don't have access to these things. So what are we really talking about? I still believe the message. I'm still applying my life to the hope that this is offering, but there are real scholars who have spent thousands more hours than I've ever looked at a word and are saying unclear. And that really just led to this mind clutter of, okay, I, I really can't just come to the Bible with this belief that I can find the exact truth that was intended by myself. Not saying that there's not truth and uh, not that God, not that God doesn't want us to have some sort of unity about what's being said. But some of these words that we've built entire doctrines on and denominations, maybe we can relinquish some of our control or gatekeeping of them. Yeah, yep, yeah. yep, totally. There is a, um, if, if, and if you want an example, a really good example of uh, like the textual criticism conversation, uh, Turn your Bible to John 8 mm -hmm. and look at the first 12 verses in John 8. And most scriptures, I think almost all of them now, will have some sort of addendum or note that said these were not in the earliest manuscripts. Right. Um, right. And there's only really two. There's also at the end of Mark Mark's 16. gospel, yep. same, same uh, conversation. Um, it doesn't mean that the story uh, of the woman... 
who was caught in adultery isn't necessarily factual yeah. and that it didn't necessarily happen. It very much was part, I think, of the oral tradition that was passed down yeah, to the apostles. Yeah. But it does mean that it wasn't most likely included in the early, earliest manuscripts and was added on to Correct. it um, uh, as, the, as the manuscripts got copied. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, textual criticism, textual variance, all those conversations, uh, when you go down them, they, are, they're, they, uh, they bring a lot of questions right. to, the, to the table that if you just take it at face value, um, you, just, you easily dismiss. Mm. Um, but a little more thoughtfulness requires us to say, oh, these... There's a little more happening here than just my simple reading of a simple text that <laughs> right. was, you know, thousands of years old. So, right, right. Yeah. Where would you say you're at now as far as like where, where what you, not just your relationship with the scripture, but what what do you feel like it's teaching you and, and what, how, how are you interacting with it? Yeah, I feel like my relationship to the scriptures now is a conglomerate of what our past guests have kind of talked about. It's this mysterious mountain range, right? It's a text of the revelation of God's heart. You know what I mean? It's this masterpiece. It's the story. It's this narrative that we're actually invited to, to where my relationship with scripture is, it's both the word that has come from God to us, for us, and the word of people, <laughs> and how they like, deduced and understood God's message to them for their time. And so I don't know if I've actually like said that too aloud because that kind of falls in tandem with this thing called, and I'll try to be quick with it, JEDP theory. And I'm not like, JEDP theory, it's a documentary hypothesis. So there's no way to prove exactly what it is. But there's this idea that the scriptures have been constructed in a way from different traditions, the, the Jehovahites, the Elohimites, the priestly tradition, and the Deuteronomic period, time periods, and that talks about the dates of when scriptures were written was was uh, Genesis written in 400 or 1400, you know what I mean? And so it, it, the oral tradition stuff, all of these conversations that we've kind of been approaching here have helped me synthesize that, all right, this doesn't have to make me think that God's not breathed into the message of the Bible. He just uses means like he always has. And so I feel like the Bible is the means that God has used to give us the clearest understanding of his salvific purposes, his rescue mission, and his character. Um, and so that's kind of freed me up to like look at these stories and not so much believe they're like these one-to-one -one correlations with, oh, Joshua didn't fear, therefore I must not. <laughs> you know what I mean? David uh, was able to kill a bear. So if I find one with the power of God, I can do whatever to that. Don't thing. try that at home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and obviously those are very exaggerated circumstances, but kind of like you said, like when we read single Bible verses and you have a hyper, like this is the word of God type thing, and then you get confused around your life, you're like, oh, so this book really isn't human at all, is it? So the humanness of the Bible has kind of recovered. It, it, it almost like pushed me away from any spiritual uh, 
appropriation to the Bible, any like spiritual attribution to the content and the workings of its bringing together. Because another thing that could take another 30 minutes is just the development of the canon. That mug, it was over hundreds of years. I'm like, this is... This is tough. Like it, 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 and my church history professor, the way he would like wrap all of that with a bow was, so it just speaks to how organic it was. Maybe, but to my mind, it sounds like a bunch of people trying to throw stuff together and just what they liked the most. But anyway, so the humanness and the sacredness of God's using the means of community and specific prophets to speak a message to the people has been like, all right. So even if that word he gave to them isn't immediately contextual to me, there are some principles, there are some messages of God's heart that are evident there that are speak to me today. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's so good. Uh, well, Zuru, it's been great uh, to be on the other side of this mic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, we, uh, we're... We're hopeful. I mean, these stories continue through the semester, so we've yeah. got a couple more guests Absolutely. lined up, and I think it'll be good. It's been helpful to just get a uh, – everyone has a different road uh, with the Scripture. Right. Um, and so – and a relationship in some ways to it. And so to hear people articulate that in this format has been super helpful. Yeah. And, uh, so thanks for hosting, and also thanks for sharing a little bit of your story today. Absolutely. And just one more thing I want to say before we end this is something I feel like God is speaking to me from the text immediately is, you know how we're always reminded, like, remember the faithfulness of God, like Israel, remember how he's brought you out of the muck of mire, remember this. That that has always been encouragement to me, but what I'm seeing in the scriptures now in my reading in Exodus is actually that God remembers too, you know? So that's been this huge word of comfort to me in this time. Like, when you see his deliverance of Israel from the wilderness, uh, it says he remembered and he was concerned with their plight. He heard, he saw, and he knew them. And that's something that's never changed about God's heart. And so that's something that's spoken to me today that I hope folks from our church can find and kind of mine out of the text and in their time with God because I think a lot of people in Mosaic today want to believe that God remembers them too and it's not all on them to remember all these specific details or things when things are going rough oh if I can just remember the faithfulness I'll be good it's like even when you're not remembering God God has remembered you so yeah 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 good good word to end on yeah thanks Rue. all right see y'all